Welcome to a new episode of We Going In Presents. Today we're chopping it up with the legendary Ed OG about his new release, DJ Premier vs. Pete Rock, a collection of four songs that are finally getting a proper release through Redefinition Records. We talk about the songs, why they didn't make it to any albums, his Boston roots, including recording with Guru back in 85, his creative process, and much more. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher, and please hit us with those stars on iTunes. And hit the links on ProfileWild.com for the books. So, Edo, your most recent project is the DJ Premier vs. Pete Rock that you released as 445s, but also digitally. So, what what motivated you to, to put all these songs together and finally release it as one project? Um, well, really, it was um, <clears throat> mainly Redef. They came to me um, with the idea. Um, shout out to Damu and um, John. And, you know, it came to me with the idea. I've, I thought about it, you know, in the past, but they came to me with a great idea, you know, with a great package and, and everything. So I just uh, rolled with them, man. It, it was the right time, and you know, to, to get it done. And, and they did a great job. Yeah, from really all angles of this project, I mean, it looks amazing. The artwork is awesome. You've got the CD, digital, um, the, on vinyl, you know, yeah, four forty fives, which is crazy and just dope. So yeah, <laughs> it's it's really the first time I feel in your career that you've had something come out that's really feels like almost like like boutiqueish. Almost does that make sense? Yeah, 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 for sure. Nah, I mean it is. I, I would say uh, the last album, not so much boutiqueish like like this because of the packaging, but. Um, yeah, I would say this probably is the most boutique-ish <laughs> uh, project I've done. How does how does that feel for you? It feels great. More to come. Definitely. So you know, it's just the first of many. So if 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 Redef and Damu and John never stepped to you, do you feel like you just would have let these songs? just be and let them as they are and just you know floating around you know on youtube and no 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 not at all we were definitely going to do something uh me and my partner because we have our own label uh fifth and union which puts out you know we put out all my stuff um now we were going to do that man uh our next release is some older stuff from the 90s that we're going to put on vinyl so we we have them all in kind of a, a order that we want to release stuff um so yeah we're, we're working on that you know we're going to release some unreleased old stuff from the 90s on vinyl so we would have got it to it but just not as quick as these guys did so how much do you have because there's a huge gap in your discography obviously <clears throat> um how much do you have from the 90s that just never came out Oh, a bunch of stuff, you know, we, tons of stuff. More, more later '90s, mid to later '90s. After the um, record deal was over, after '95, so there's a ton of stuff from '96 um, on. And it, and and that was really the era where you didn't really just leak stuff on your own, right? So it it just kind of sat. Yeah, it just sat because. You literally, you know, 
it, it costs so much back then to even press stuff and, you know, put anything out yourself. It was almost impossible until 96, which we did put, put out our first uh, independent record. Um, we did a six-song EP, uh, and we put that out. So that's when we figured out how we could do it, but it took a little time. So I'm always curious talking to artists who have music in the stash that just never came out. Like, what What's it been like all this time knowing you've got these these songs that obviously your fans would be interested in hearing and just knowing that you got it, but, you know, just trying to figure out how to put it out right. Like, what's that feel like knowing you've got it in the stash, but that... Um, It's good, man. It's good to have, you know, a, a lot of stuff that, you know, we, we've recorded tons of stuff. I know not just me, but a bunch of artists, you know, in the same genre as me <laughs> that didn't come out major labels different whatever the case was so yeah i mean you know it's dope because especially in, in the era that we're in now you know people are interested in that stuff so it's good to you know package it up real nice and get it out to the people man so they could hear you know some of that stuff man so you know i'm happy about it man i'm glad that i did a lot of shit yeah and and kept it too Exactly, exactly. But some of it's on cassette, some of it's on CD, some of it's on ADAT. It's all over the place. I got two-inch rails, everything. <laughs> so there, it's, it's on all forms. So you're going to have to do some converting and some touching up probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just some converting, you know, and, and then that's really it, man, and mixing. Most of the stuff is mixed, so it's just a matter of converting it. No doubt. And, you know, what you mentioned, you know, people want to hear that stuff now. You know, there's definitely a resurgence um, and a lot of nostalgia for music from, you know, when you first started making music, you know, the late 80s, the 90s. You know, how do you balance that desire for nostalgia from fans along with growing? Because you've also mentioned this in your songs just about growing as an artist. How do you balance giving fans what they want from you versus what you need to do for yourself. I mean, you know, you continue to put out new material. I think that's the the best way to, you know, do what you do. I me, I'm on my 15th album in total with, you know, collaborative projects included in that as well. Um, and you know, you keep putting out new music and the fans, yo, Oh, dope, dope. All right, I'll talk to you. I'm doing an interview when I'm done. My son just came home, so <laughs> nah. But uh, yeah, man. So I think, you know, by continuing to, you know, put out good uh, new music as well as the, you know, classic stuff, people, you know, when they see you perform, obviously you perform the classics and they love that and you give them the new stuff, the old stuff, you know, and you kind of mix it up. So I think it's a balance of, you know, me continuing to put out projects, mm-hmm. new projects. Right. That that makes sense. You know, the music, though, the, the DJ Premier versus Pete Rock, the songs as a whole still feel relevant today. You know, was, is that an intentional move that you make when you make music that to have it have give it that timeless feel where it, it will sound good no matter when you hear it? Or do you feel like no, no, 
No, you just do it. And the people decide that, man. I mean, you can't, you know, people always say, hey, this is a hit. And, and probably, you know, 90% of the time it's not. Hey, so it's just the people really have to decide that. You know, I think the fans and, and the people who listen to the music, we just make it. You know what I mean? And then the people say, yeah, this or that. But I mean, you you can feel a song when you make it. Yeah, this is a really good record. I hope the people, but I made good records that people might not have even heard. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword sometimes with that. Is that frustrating for you when you feel like you've made something that should resonate a lot more and it doesn't? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, in, in the age we're in, it, 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 you know, you have to get it to the people. And, and I think, you know, one of the most important things for artists of my caliber and from the same uh, era and genre of the boom bap hip hop that we do, um, you know, I think for 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 us, it's, it's just, you know, continuing to, to put out that, that new music and uh, continuing to tour and getting in front of the people. I think that's the best way we, 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 we get the message out by, by touring. Definitely. And how often do you try to be on the road? Because I know like you've got, you've got two weeks coming up where you're going to be gone. You know, how, how much do you try to balance being on the tour versus being home and, and doing music and doing the family thing? Yeah, well, I mean, now it's you know I think we're we're in a in a great space and place because we do a lot of the booking ourselves, and so we can you know kind of book it around our our lives now. So it's not a thing where you know we have to go and do this. We do it at kind of our own pace. So I think you know that works for a lot of artists. Today, you know, doing a lot of weekend gigs and those are easy. You know what I mean? So you, you kind of balance it out. You do a couple of weeks, come home, you know, a couple of weeks, come home, stuff like that. So Definitely. And I would love to revisit some of the lyrics on the songs, if you're cool with that, too, because I feel like, like I said earlier, is that a lot of these topics and, and themes and, and gems that you touched on, still have a ton of meaning in 2018, even if you didn't record it, you know, last week. Um, yeah, for sure. You, you know, one one idea that you that you talked about on saying something is reinventing yourself. You know, um, yeah. how how do you handle that process? Because that's it's, it's a very personal process, um, you know, staying, staying true to yourself and growing without changing so far away that fans don't recognize what you do or that you don't recognize who you are anymore. How do you, how do you handle the reinvention process throughout your career? And, and how do you, how do you look at that today? Um, well that, in that particular instance, that song and, um, that time frame when that song came out, it came out in 2001 recorded in like 2000. Um, and, I put out the album, The Truth Hurts, and that was my first kind of solo album as Ed O.G. without Ed O.G. and the Bulldogs. And, um, you know, so with with that, 
it was me kind of saying, you know, the opportunity was to present itself. I, I had really, I might just have to go and reinvent myself so people can know, you know, I'm still here. I'm still doing it. And that was an era too. When, when that album came out where everyone was on the, who do you have on your album? It was 2001 and everybody, you know, what producers do you have? What features do you have? You had to have an album kind of, lace with a ton of features and a ton of producers and all of that stuff. And that was the first time I did that because my first two albums and my EP before that, that came out in 96 was all with the same producer, mainly um, Joe Mansfield that produced my first album. And I gotta have it all of the classics that I'm known for. And then the second album, he produced half of it. Diamond D produced the other half. And um, so I had it, you know, really had a bunch of different producers and you know i worked with pete i worked with prime i had guru on the album souls of mischief black thought free from 106 and park uh it was just laced with a whole bunch of features and producers and knots was on there he rhymed on there blah 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 so that was the whole meaning behind the opportunity in that line gotcha yeah, that's that's crazy to think too. Like, I mean, that that time period, we re- really have to, you know, go out on your own. Um, did you ever have any doubts that you could do it? No, no, never, for sure. I, I always knew I was making good music, and from '96 to around '99, I I like you know, started featuring on a lot of different compilations, Fat Beats compilations, and putting out a lot of twelve inches. Um, with, with different people. DJ Spinner did a lot of 12 inches for me. We did about two or three different 12 inches and, and stuff like that. So I, I was keeping myself, you know, in the game uh, quietly, you know, still doing my thing and, and, and putting out, you know, good music. So that's what led up to that album and then led up to, you know, everything else. Gotcha. And you mentioned branching out too and, and all the different people you've worked with. What happened with you and Joe Mansfield where you started? Because obviously you guys had great chemistry. Um, what what happened as you start to, to get you to start branching off and, and working with new producers there? Um, He kind of stopped producing, man. He got into more of the business side and he um, owns a company now called Traffic Entertainment which puts out a lot of independent underground stuff uh their distrib- uh distributor and so he got into that him and his uh a couple of his friends started land speed records i don't know if you're familiar mm. with them they yeah, put, yeah. Uh, put out a lot of stuff Bob yeah Perry. so land speed is a Bob Perry and joe and uh so the guy christian they started that and so you know i used to actually work there i did sales there so you know i know a lot a lot about the whole business in and out. Oh, man. And, uh, so yeah, did... so Joe stopped producing, man, basically, and, you know, got into the the behind the scenes and putting out records and, and doing all of that. Wow. And even even you got into some of that, too. Did you work, like, the 50 Cent album or the Cormega, Cormega albums over at? I, yeah, the Cormega, yeah. We did the Cormega stuff, Bumpy Knuckles, um, all the... MF Doom stuff, 
bunch of stuff. Jedi mind tricks. Every everybody, man. I I seen all of that stuff. It all came through through land speed. So it was a great time, man. I, I worked over there from like ninety nine to two thousand and one until I put out the Truth Hurts, and then I, I went on the road and you know started supporting the album and back to to that. But it was a, a fun two years working uh, at Land Speed. Man, and those, that was a time too when being independent wasn't the cool thing to do, but it was extremely lucrative for the folks who... Oh, man, super lucrative. <laughs> Crazy. People were still selling, you know, literally, we sold 100, 200,000 Bumpy Knuckles records. I mean, you know, Jay-Z and Beyonce hasn't sold 200,000 hard copies of their new album. So, <laughs> and that was indie. Man. That's crazy. How, how did, and I had no idea you were even over there. How did what you learn over at Landspeed? I mean, how do you, how do you use that today? Like how did, how did that help you? With well, the yeah, energy? of course. I, I, yeah, I apply it to my own people. I mean, and you know, Joe at, at traffic, he owns traffic now, which is basically kind of the same thing as Landspeed, but better because um, it's, you know, all basically him and a few of his other uh, partners, over there and they've been putting out a lot of stuff and he, you know, taught me about the packaging and doing uh different things like that, man. So, you know, there's a lot I still learn from those guys over there with what they're doing cuz they're really successful um with the stuff they've been putting out. That's awesome. Um and you also mentioned, you know, on that track how much it means to you just to see your daughter smile and as someone who's always been a, a you know had family themes throughout the music and mentioning your own kids man you know how has family played a role in in your artistic process and 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 the decisions you've made over your career oh of course i mean it played a big role it kept me here in boston you know what i mean i would have moved i think <laughs> to a warmer climate <laughs> earlier in my <laughs> life <laughs> um but yeah, you know, so I, I think that's the main thing. And family, you know, my mom is here. My my whole family is, is here. So, you know, being uh, close to them is always good. And then you also have the line, you are to rap what Pedro is to pitching. Yeah, <laughs> that was when Pedro Martinez was with uh, Red Sox. Yes. And yeah, I love the older sports references on here. Um, you know, you got Keith Brooking later on on, on Make Music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, wow, that that definitely took me down memory lane. <laughs> you know? That's only for the sports heads, man. The sports heads, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, I don't think too many of my hip hop heads know what the hell I was talking about with, <laughs> with those references. No, it's yeah. I mean, Pedro Martinez. I would hope most people would get that, but but Keith Brooking definitely not. I mean, he was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He was good, but I don't. If, if you're if you're not a Falcons fan, I don't even know if you're going to remember him. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you got to know. Got to be a sports head for for those. There's a lot of sport. I, I definitely got a lot of sports references because I'm I'm all about that. So. And you you also that that kind of goes off of cool like that from Diggable Planets. You know, did do you was that a, was that a reference on purpose? Was that was that a nod to them at all? Um, 
What? Pedro? Which one? No, like how they said we beat a rap what key beat a lock. How you, you say like I am to rap what, you know, was that? Uh, like Pedro the pitch. Yeah, right. it's kind of a, 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 a yeah, homage and, you know, to, to them and that, that, that line and that style. Yeah, I think I probably was in that, you know, zone with that, with that particular line. Yeah. Because I've noticed that you've done that throughout other songs throughout your career where you just mention, you know, like like kind of just taking another line and twisting it to to your own. Like, you know, how do you decide kind of who you pay tribute to and, and what you what sticks with you in terms of like what you want to um, recreate? Like, how, how do you decide those lines? I mean, they just really they just come. And I'm right in, you know, the beat kind of inspires the the rhyme. So it's always the beat that inspires the topic and everything. Sometimes I might have a, a topic before the beat and put it to that. Uh, or sometimes I might have rhymes, you know, that I've just written if I felt inspired and put it to a beat. But mainly the beat inspires the verse. Mm. And you also talk about on there, it's not about how you flow, it's about who you know. And, yeah, you know, as, as a writer, I can definitely see that, but I'm sure even more as an artist, you've, you've really seen and felt that. Yeah, I mean, you know, just learning uh, <clears throat> how to, you know, put out your own stuff and, and be totally independent. That That's the, you know, first thing. Once you learn that, then, you don't, you know, you don't need anybody. You know who who you're dealing with for manufacturing, who you're dealing with for artwork, who you're dealing with for all of these different things that go along with that. And, you know, it's not that difficult once you, you know, want to do it and succeed at it in your own way. Whatever you consider success is, you know, success. So that's what I've been doing. Definitely. And what I love about a song like Fastlane is the amount of gems you can drop in the song, but it's sprinkled in there. It's not like it's you're hitting people over the head with it. It's really like just it's it's in there. It's embedded, but it's not it's not too over the top where it's just like preachy. I guess is is the word I'm looking for. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never, never. Is so so that's a conscious always, decision. Yeah, yeah. It's always uh, wolf in sheep's clothing, man. Always. I think, you know, you can't bang people in the head and, and preach to them. So, you know, you got to kind of give it to them in a in a cool way where they might not get it the first time or, you know, they might, and, you know, be like, oh, shit. So that's what I try to do. And, you know, so, someone who I feel also does this really well is Ace, who, um, you know, I know you look like you guys had connected a week or a week ago or so on Instagram, you know, with at at a, at a show, um, but also mm-hmm. did a, did a whole project together. You know, um, do you feel like you guys are some of the best at doing that? Because, you know, I like it because like it's it's the the preachiness can turn me off in, in, to music if it's if it's too much. But <clears throat> I, I appreciate the gems you drop and feel like it's it's really well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Uh, I mean, I. I Ace is definitely one of those guys who 
you know, does that all the time. And, you know, me too, man. I, it's just how we've, you know, come up. I think definitely I, I, I've gotten much better. You know, the, my early stuff was, I was so young and, you know, it was just all over the place to me. Even though when I listen back to it, some of it, I've dropped some jewels on there. I was saying some stuff that I can't even believe at that young age, but, you know, still, I still feel like I was all over the place. So now I feel like it's more, you know, kind of can pick and choose and really put them where where they need to be. You know what I'm saying? The ace taught me a lot of that too, man. It's interesting. I talked to him about a couple months ago about it and just his, his process from like take a look around to Slaughterhouse. He just realized I need to tone it down and still I could still do you know, get my messages and my ideas out there, but he's like, I'm just hitting people too hard with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you gotta, you know, tone it down. Even like Buster, he he always credits uh, Diddy for telling him to stop yelling, you know, and just take it down a couple of notches. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, let me see. Buster kind of whispers on every rhyme now. <laughs> It's real low. Yeah, it's like, you, like, dude, are you there? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, he took that advice, but it worked. <laughs> I miss the days when Buster was on every single remix that was dropping. Ah, oh, man, he'll be back. He'll be back when he's ready. He's still super dope. Oh, man, <laughs> so. that hasn't changed. But, but even the remix is kind of dead now. Like, you just don't, like, remixes don't just happen really anymore, where... Yeah, well, they're they're not remixes anymore now. People are just all rhyming on the same beat. There's no, like, other producer remixing it, (laughs) actually. So it's a real remix, not just somebody rhyming on the same beat. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so, I don't know. That, that, That whole thing is gone, but maybe somebody will bring it back. Hopefully Busto will do it. Right. Well, that's the thing is, you know, make music is just such a great like hip hop anthem. Um, and I don't want to sound like one of those old dudes on the porch talk about how, how good those are, but it's just something I don't, I don't feel like is happens too much anymore. You know, just a song that, that just says like, this is for hip hop. Hip hop is dope. Like, you know, why is that? Yeah. Why is that kind of falling off the wayside? Because I mean, like, I don't want a whole album of that, but I feel like those songs are great. Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes, you know, you just feel like you got to pay homage and, you know, shout it out. And that's that beat dictated the hook and kind of Pete dictated it, too, because he was singing a little bit on that big music. And I kind of followed that. And, you know, the kind of music we make is hip-hop music. So <laughs> it's easy, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It, it was an easy, easy process, man. So, And that's an old, old joint from, I think, even the 90s or early 2000, 2000, something like that. It was on a cassette, and it was a little snippet at the end of a beat tape that he gave me. And he was singing, make music, because he's in the hook, too. And I just kind of looped it, took it, chopped it, looped it, and made it into a, a, a song, man. So it's crazy. 
Man. And that's just ingenuity, listening to old tapes. I started going through old tapes. I heard that beat. I said, shit, this shit sounds great. Damn, why didn't I pick it back then? What the hell was I on? And I looped it and rhymed on it and bung. Made that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's crazy. So so why weren't some of these songs on The Truth Hurts? Was it clearance issues? I don't even know. I have no idea, bro. I mean, I have so many peak beats. He's still he mad. He gave me so many beats. He's not mad, literally. But, you know, I, I still have tons of beats from him, man. And that was one of them. I just started going through old tapes. Oh, let me listen to this peak tape. Wow. And I ended up using three beats uh, from that beat tape on uh, after all these years. Wow. I put out in 20, 2014, three peak beats off of a cassette. <laughs> and you wouldn't know at all. I mean, I've told everybody in interviews that those were all from cassettes. Bro. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, you would never be able to tell. Yeah, I mean, that's how good he freaking mixed them. And, you know, the cassettes are still warm because it's a tape. So, hey, you know, <laughs> you never know. Look through those old cassettes, man. Yeah, seriously. Um, and you, because you, you have, you, you did a whole album with Pete, My Own Worst Enemy, but you're saying you have even yeah. more Pete stuff in the stash. And is it is it done or is it just Pete beats that you need to, need to get to? No, I just got a bunch of Pete beats. That's all in the stash. Man, if you need to go like record those songs, like I don't mind getting off the phone now. We can always finish the interview later. If you want to <laughs> nah, I got I gotta pay for them. They're not free still. They're still not free. You oh, still gotta pay, even though they're old. You still gotta pay. <laughs> Hopefully, you get the friend discount at this point, man. The the repeat. yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, of course. I you know. Maybe I'll, I'll record him one day, man. Oh, I got I got some heat though. He's still those old beats are, are still fire. That's how dope he is. Timeless. Right. Yeah, and and, and what does it mean to you to, to have those relationships with a Primo and a Pete Rock and you know Diamond D? You look at who you've worked with over the years. What does it mean? Yo, to you? bro. What you, what what you got to understand is we all came up at the same time. So no one looks at anyone like, you know, really. Uh, I'm, of course, some people made it in, uh, higher than other people in, in certain uh, tax brackets. But as far as that, we all came up, you know, at the same time. All of our records kind of came out at the same time and, you know, around that same era. So we all have that mutual love and just respect for each other because, we're from the exact same thing. You know what I'm saying? Even though we're from different places and all of that, we all are from that that same era and genre of the 90s where that's what we all represent still. So we have that in common, man. And, you know, we don't look at each other like, uh, you know, it's not a... Cause we were there when their first records were coming out. Uh, Guru and Premier are in the video, I Gotta Have It. A lot of people don't even know that. I mean, they're, they're there in the video. It's a quick little <laughs> second of them. But they were actually promoting their first album 
and they were doing an in-store at this uh, record store, and we were shooting a video at the same time. And I'm like, oh, yo, dude, y'all are here. Come get in the video. That's awesome. So, yeah, you know, people got to look back and they're in the video real quick. <laughs> One second. You know what I'm saying? It but they, So we go, yeah, we go way back. I'm shooting my first video and they're doing their in-store for their first album in Boston. You know what I'm saying? And I knew Guru since 85. So I knew him way before all of that. And in 85, were you guys even rapping at that point? Like We were rapping. Yeah, we were rapping. We were rapping. His DJ, his original DJ lived about maybe four, five blocks from me. So, you know, we used to be in his attic all up there where I'm in. Uh, his DJ. Now, his first deal the first Gangstar album is with his original DJ, uh, DJ Mike D, one to be down. So, you know, we all came up up in his house rhyming and doing all of that stuff, man. But I never, you know, got with them. I ended up doing my own thing and, you know, with my own people's. But we all used to be in his house all the time. And when you heard Guru back then, I mean, did you know – this is a special dude? Nah, not really. Um, nah. He was, you know, he had a nice voice and the stuff he was saying, he was a little older, so, but I was young and I was just like a young, aggressive dude, man, so I thought I was better than everybody at that particular time. So I, Guru, he was my man and we, you know, he was nice, but I thought I was just as nice, if not nicer. So, it was just one of those things, man. You know, I mean, rap, for me, with sports rap, I always competition, man. So I'm always about that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No doubt. That That's crazy. So did you guys record anything together back then? Did you and, did you and Guru he, back then? Yo, listen, I wish I could find this. When he got the, when they got their deal with Wild Pitch, um, him and the original DJ, not Premier, um, they introduced me to Stu, Stu Fine from Wild Pitch. He came up to Boston, and he's like, yo, this is my man, uh, Edo. He's going to, you know, I'm going to produce. And Guru actually produced a demo for me that we gave to Wild Pitch. We didn't end up getting a deal, but we did like four songs. And he produced all of it. I wish I could find that shit. Man. And that was in like, uh, I don't even know, when they got that deal, 89, I think. I think his first record with, with Wild Pitch was like maybe 89. Something like that. I have to look back. But yeah, I remember meeting Stu Fine here in Boston and, you know, Guru producing me and going in the studio. So yeah, we go way back, man, from then. And, you know, I was actually with him when he moved to New York. He bought my boy's radio because his uh, stereo didn't work in his Jaguar. So he bought the boom box for my man <laughs> so he could have some sounds driving to New York the day he left. Wow. So, yeah, it goes way, way, way back. Was Suge in the picture at that time, too? Nah, Suge was in jail. So I didn't know, I didn't meet Suge till the 90s, till late 90s. Like, well, mid-90s, maybe around 95 is when I met him. 
And did you did you feel the same like like when you heard his style? I mean, did you feel like that was something, um, like like Shug like Shug was going to go places? Did you hear that in in him at the time? Um, nah, not really, because when Shug first came home, he used to freestyle everything, so it was kind of crazy. So you never had a uh, whole complete same thing you know what i mean every time so he he worked on his shit and and definitely got to the point where when he did uh crush and that was like his first single really by itself um and you know that shit was was super hard and then he was there i was like yeah that's when i knew when that single when he played me that and I actually, my man produced because the single crush and the flip side, um, I can't think of the name of the song, but me, him, and uh, my man Scientifica on it, God Rest of the Dead, on his single. And Criminal, man, was such a dope album, man. Like, I love that album. Um, Scientific, he is someone who you, you hear that album and you're just like, he he just, he had so much talent. Yeah, man. Super duper talented, bro. Like that, that dude was—he was amazing, man. With it, he was definitely ahead of his time with, with all of the stuff he was thinking about and you know doing. He could rhyme his ass off. He was young too, wasn't he? Yeah, 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 man. Yeah, in his twenties, mid twenties. How? I mean, I'm assuming his death hit you pretty hard too when that happened. Yeah, man. Yeah, you know, it was definitely unexpected. Definitely unexpected. So crazy, man. Yeah, it's and and you know you've really seen Boston hip hop from you know early on to now. Like, what what is what does it mean to you to really be that pillar for Boston and be that that person who's seen so many people come and go and make an impact and um, rise up and everything. Like, what does it mean for you to, to still be here, but also be, you know, like people think Boston hip hop. I mean, you're the first name that should come up for everybody. Yeah, for sure. Um, shit, I, you know, obviously that was always the goal. <laughs> of course, to try to, uh, you know, put Boston hip hop on the map. I mean, that was definitely, you know, what I was trying to do from, from coming out because, you know, we're all the way, we're the last big city, you know, in the Northeast, man, and, you know, we get overlooked a lot as far as, you know, hip-hop was concerned, especially at that time. So, you know, it was all New York. So, um, you know, I'm, shit, I'm happy, happy for that. I'm happy there's a lot of other great artists that came uh, since I came out and you know they're all you know holding that torch for Boston and, and doing their thing as well so you know it's dope now because we have a whole shitload of uh, uh, dope artists back in the days there was only a few Do you feel like Boston is more accepting of hip hop today too? Yeah, of course. When, I, when my album came out, there was no hip-hop shows in Boston. You couldn't do shows because it was so violent and it was just, you know, clubs didn't want to take the chance and, 
it was just too crazy to, to, to do it in the 90s. So I even when I had my hit record, I really performed in Boston. I did a show in Cambridge. I had hadn't did a show in Boston until my second album in like 93, 94. Because it was, they had no shows. Snoop, I, I did a show with Snoop, his first show in Boston. I opened up for him. That was in 2000. Wow. <laughs> so That's wild. Yeah, it's crazy when you think about it. So how do you keep repping a city that you also feel a lot of frustration for? Well, back then there was a lot of uh, frustration, man. I mean, you know, but, you know, it's, it's home. It, regardless of, you know, the only thing you could do is try to change it from within you know what i'm saying if you're not going to move then you can't just complain you got to try to you know do something and you know over the years it, it, it's gotten way way better so you know everybody comes through here now definitely and yeah there were some reports uh last year i think it was with the red sox and just how and and I, I think it was mostly visiting players too who played in Boston, like on road games, just talking about the crazy racist stuff that folks would say. And do you do you feel that Boston is a racist city overall? I mean, I know every place has work to do, but do, have you ever felt that? Do you feel like like that's an accurate portrayal of Boston overall? Yeah, I think it definitely was super racist when i was growing up i mean i didn't have no no white friends it was really segregated you know what i'm saying blacks and puerto ricans lived where we lived and white people live where they lived you know now it's more uh way more diverse i think you know kids uh uh this younger generation are coming up together it's not just black kids hanging with black kids or white kids. You know, it's a lot of kids mixed up now. And, and so I think, you know, back in the days it was. I mean, to be honest with you, I didn't go to South Boston like uh, like that until 2005, six when I got with Slain because he used to live in South Boston. And then I, you know, I, I didn't know shit about South Boston, the streets. I didn't know my way around there because it wasn't somewhere I wanted to go because it was uh, always notorious for being a racist place. That, that, and, you know, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, nah, I'm just saying. So that was, you know, literally the first time that I had ventured into Southie and, you know, got to see it's a dope place and it wasn't as racist as you know when Slane was there it was it was cool it wasn't a whole bunch of people saying get the fuck out of here no bullshit it was you know regular <laughs> and then my man moved over there too so I was over there a lot and, you know now it's all gentrified and yuppified so <laughs> it's not even racist anymore it's just all money so it's just it's it so you're saying it's changing a lot and maybe not always oh yeah the whole 
the whole city is, is changing here. It's, it's all, um, you know, it's just money. It's uh, the fourth uh, highest rent in the nation behind Frisco, New York, and Hawaii. So it's really expensive. And, you know, that that's what it's about now. Do you see yourself staying in Boston, or have you thought about moving somewhere else? Yeah, I definitely want to get to somewhere warm. Um, but, you know, I mean, me and the fam, we have a house, so, um, you know, where I rent out my, my crib and move. That's my plan. Nice. You know, you also talk about on Freedom just cultural appropriation and how there's a lot of white fans that love hip-hop and love the culture but don't actually – love black people and that, that disconnect. <laughs> yeah, it's true <laughs> yeah it's a, you know because the music is one thing it makes you feel good you know but like you know sometimes i mean you've seen it there's a lot of uh white kids who probably don't even have black friends but you know love black music and you know love the the, the, the culture and, and, and everything, but, you know, don't have, I'm not saying that's everybody or that's everywhere, but that's just, you know, one of the questions that I have to ask, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I see, see it in, in certain instances, you know what I'm saying? So it's something that just has to be questioned. Uh, you know what I mean? For me. Yeah, no, I, I totally I've seen it. I, I totally get what you're saying. And I can remember talking to artists, you know, who used to battle and how they would just say, like, no matter who the white MC is, it's like that's who a lot of those fans are going for. And just like almost like this bloodthirsty rage, they, they describe it as in terms of like how they cheered for the white MCs and just feeling like, well, what are you doing here? And it's, it's always perplexed me, too, because, you know, how can you take the music uh at such a deep level, but not, you know, but be the way you are, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just a, a question, you know, you have to have to ask, you know what I'm saying? So some people are there and they're, they're at the, they might be at the show or, you know, or maybe not. I don't know. You know, there's just certain groups of people that love this, the shit and everything, but you know, they don't want to really be a part of it. And so do you look at those fans as kind of like, they're going to come and go or do you look at those fans? Like there's, hope I think those grow. are more of the, no, nah, those are the more of the mainstream type fans. So, you know, whatever's popular type of people. Right. I don't think, you know, the, the true fans are the true fans. They've been fans since they were young and, you know, they got gray hairs now and they're, you know, still about it. You know what I'm saying? So those are the true fans. No matter what color you are, you know who you are as a true fan. You know who true fans are. They prove it. You know what I'm saying? Because they know your shit. Right. And they tell you, I've been <laughs> rocking with you since I was such and such, man. You know what I'm saying? So you don't have to question the true fans. We know who they are. And I'm sure too, hearing those stories about like what your music means or how they were a kid listening to such and such, like how that just never, that probably never gets old for you. 
nah, it's always good, man. Definitely always good because, uh, you, you know, you you make the music to, for that reason. But then, you know, I mean, hearing it from the, the people who are actually listening to it and, you know, absorbing it and really feeling what you were saying and understanding it is, is crazy. No doubt. And when you when you write today, what is that writing process like for Ed OG? It's always the beat, man. Sometimes, it, like I said, there'll be, you know, a, a, a topic. Um, but, you know, mainly it's, it's always just the beat. The beat kind of just dictates where I'm going. And do you find that your writing process, I mean, has it has it changed a lot over the years or has it always been about the beat and that's really the center of everything? Yeah, I think that's the, that's pretty much the center. I think the beat, you know, always does it for me, man. If the beat is black, you know, if it doesn't, the beat has to inspire words. So I, I think, you know, for me, that if it you know if it can't do that then it's, it's it's tough you know i feel like you've got that style too where every bar counts and you know you i guess the easiest comparison i could make is to like a wide receiver who takes plays off you know because the ball is not coming to him on the on a certain play or <laughs> yeah. you know miss, yeah. misses a block like i don't feel that like you really take bars off i mean as a listener if I don't hear something because, you know, someone in the car said something or like I got distracted, I feel like I got to go back and like rewind to where I was at because I just, I feel like you missed something and I really find myself paying more attention to every line you say versus just like, Oh, this is, this is a throwaway verse or this was like a couple throwaway lines before you got to this punchline. Like, is that, is that an intentional thing? I mean, how does that, come about because I, I, don't, I don't feel like that happens with every artist and you know I obviously listen to a ton of music yeah I think you you know you you just I don't ever want to say some bullshit <laughs> like and be um you know uh sounding lazy on the on the verse this is this is all I do this is what I do so you know I want to be good at it I, I don't want to come in and you know ever be whack i always want to kill everybody who i'm on a song with i still have that mentality of wanting to murder everybody i just did a song on uh rex's new album with him shout out to rex and uh you know i heard his verses and shout out my man sonic his verse too they're both dope but, you know, I, I tried to murder both of them. And that was just recently. I was like, you know, a week ago. <laughs> so, so I'm still on it like that. I want my shit to be doper. Hell yeah. That, and, and you don't see that hunger ever <laughs> fading, do you? <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Because the competition, you know, if you played freaking video games you played sports you did all you always want to win i don't want to be i'm not trying to be in second so i'm trying to win and all the shit that i'm doing and do you feel like you just keep getting better 
Yeah, I think I'm at at the point now where um, I'm I'm there. Like, you know, uh, my jumper is, if I'm open, my jumper's going in. You know, like, it's like that. So I just feel now I'm, you know, in, in in a good place I could, you know, do it how I want to do it. I'm comfortable doing it. I'm, you know, I could do it with anybody. We could, anybody could be in the room. We could all, I don't care who's the illest. We could all go in the room and pencil some shit on the spot and see what happens. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I'm that confident in my own abilities now that I could, you know, do it with the best of them. And I, I, I like to compare. I mean, a lot of people can rhyme. You know, there's a lot of dope uh, battle rappers and cats that can rhyme their ass off that can't make good songs. And I know a lot of battle rappers get that. And not all battle rappers can't make songs because a lot of them can. You know what I'm saying? But I, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to go back to those days of kind of comparing songs on the radio see who has a better record like two new records whose record is better let the people vote you know i'll put my money on any of my records that type of stuff you know what i mean that that that, i used to love those battle of the you know new artists back in the days when you would get to hear some new two new artists and get to vote on it i think that needs to be back there competition is good for everything because it makes everybody else better and you know I feel like that competition edge just isn't as present as it used to be and I feel like that I feel like that's definitely needed so I, I, I like that idea I, ho- I hope to see more of that yeah man I would love to man if we could uh, you know maybe we think about it we get it together ourselves man we don't need anybody <laughs> you know what I'm saying that's, we're all independent we, we can make it happen so oh, yeah <laughs> you know what I mean? We need to we need to battle with the records, man. New records, man. Dope records. People records that people haven't heard. Which record is better? You can do that against any new record. A uh, indie versus a major. But I mean, I think the indies will probably win most of that. Some of the majors are dope, though. You know, when you got the J. Coles and cats like that. But I just love you know seeing what the fans would vote on and what, what record is better. And I think, you know, it's something that's, that's needed. It's needed in, you know, those mainstream arenas on the breakfast club. You yes. feel me? Like they need to do that every morning and give a lot of everybody a shot. I think that's great, man. And, you know, when you look at what you've done, what you've got planned, what do you want the Ed OG legacy to be? Because I know you're far from finished. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, just putting out good music and being consistent with it, man. And, and not, you know, like you said, taking a, a night off when it comes to the music. You know what I'm saying? No doubt. And, and you're still in touch with the Bulldogs today, right? Yeah, man. They're, they're on the uh, uh, Freedom, Freedom album. Yep. Yep. And we got a video I'm um, going to drop with them uh, pretty soon. It's done already, so I'm going to be dropping that. 
soon. I'm still dropping videos from that. I'm about to drop the hate video off that. So, you know, I'm treating this album too. It came out last September, but it's like a tube of toothpaste. And, you know, it's a really good piece of work. And I don't want to get in the microwave music mode that people are in like oh where's your new shit where's your new shit i'm still on this i'm releasing more videos from this until you get the full picture of this then you'll get some uh new stuff 